Shall we? We're all waiting, man. We're all waiting for me. Yeah. Keep going, Liberace. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of the Smashing Security Podcast is made possible by the generous support of Recorded Future. Recorded Future are the real-time threat intel firm whose machine learning technology analyzes the open and dark web to give you an insight into emerging threats. You can sign up to their Cyber Daily newsletter and get the latest insights at recordedfuture.com slash intel. That's recordedfuture.com slash intel. And thanks to Recorded Future for supporting the show. Smashing Security, Episode 33, One Password, Net Neutrality and Spatchcock Chicken, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Smashing Security, episode 33 for the 13th of July 2017. My name is Graham Cluden, and I'm joined as always by my good chum and co-host, Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm great, actually. It's a, it's a beautiful day. Marvellous. Yeah, it's all, it's all going swimmingly, actually. Super duper. Mm-hmm. And we've also got a special guest and returning to the show, friend of the show, Michael Hux of PC Pit Stop. Hello, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Howdy, Graham. Thanks for having me back. Ah. Uh, How did your uh, gig go? You were, you were going off with your band somewhere, weren't you? You were yeah. our pick of the week uh, yeah. a while back, I seem to remember. Yeah. Yeah, it went, it went really great. We, uh, we played at Bonnaroo in Manchester, Tennessee, and it was, uh, it was really great. Just a life-changing experience. We had a lot of fun and got to see some cool music and meet some of our favorite bands. And awesome. We had a good one. Michael, yeah. Michael, Michael, don't, don't miss the oh, opportunity sweet, to sweet. say what yeah, the name of your out. band is. <laughs> the name of the band is Sweet Sweet. Uh, check it out. We're, we're, from, uh, we're from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So yeah, give us a Google. And what instrument do you play? Or are you singing or what, what are you doing in it? I do sing. Uh, I also play uh, just kind of a utility guy, whatever they need. I play banjo or mandolin or he ukulele. He played a saw. You played uh, a saw, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, play the saw uh, with a bow. It makes a cool little ghosty woo kind of noise. All right. um, so, yeah, pretty interesting. We will <laughs> put a link in the show notes so other people can check you out. Awesome. And... Uh, you know how it goes. What we're going to do is we're, each of us is going to bring a topic to the table, something which has caught our attention from the world of computer security and privacy in the last week, and we'll have a little bit of a chat about it. And um, first thing I want to talk about is a password manager, um, a popular password manager called 1Password. It's been mm-hmm. around for years. Kroll, it's actually, I think it's made in Canada, you know. You should be terribly proud of this. I think, actually, I, I used 1Password for quite a long time, actually. Right. Yeah. I don't at the moment, but I did use them for a long oh, time. Oh, I use it. I think it's a pretty good password manager, I have yeah. to say. Um, but it has got itself into a real whirlpool of controversy online over the last week or so. Because, okay. um, well, you see, many people over the years have liked 1Password. And one of the reasons why a lot of security savvy people have liked 1Password is it gives you the option of creating a local vault, which is a password protected database that right. only lives on your own computer or on your smartphone. Ah, so it's not in the cloud. It's just kept locally. And then the user has full control over it, knows that they're in charge of, you know, protecting it. And I get it. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, cool. Cool. So the idea is, you know, if if you're being really security conscious, your passwords aren't leaving your computer. You're not entrusting them to Dropbox or iCloud or anything like that, um, where they might go astray or potentially maybe some sort of hack can go on. But a few days ago, some security researchers started tweeting that one password was moving people away 
from local vaults and instead saying, rather than paying your one-time payment for your copy of 1Password, maybe you'd like to sign up for our monthly subscription instead, which will give you cloud-based storage of your password vaults on onepassword.com instead. Okay, so okay, let me so basically they're saying bye-bye vaults, the local vaults and hello to cloud vaults and we're going to charge you a, month, a monthly fee for that. Well, that, that's certainly the way that many people took it. Okay. And there was fury and there was a story on Motherboard, which I think really sort of heated up the waters and mm. people were getting furious. And I'll link to some of the stories which have been around this. So and you can yeah, see okay. some of the forum posts. But basically, as I see it, people were getting angry about two main things. The first thing was they wanted local vaults as opposed to shoving their passwords up in the cloud somewhere. Okay. It- yeah, okay, because they think they're local safer. They right. think it's safer. Okay, yeah. And the second thing that people don't like is they don't like paying a subscription for software. People think, I want to buy my software once, and that I want to carry on using that piece of software forever, rather than paying an annual or a monthly you know, I, fee. I kind of agree with that. Mm, I, yeah. I don't really like paying service, you know, monthly fees for software. I, I see why companies do it. But you know what? I, I think a lot of people feel the same as you, right? And we're now in this era of $1.99 or 99 cent apps, you know, everyone is getting amazing programs really, really cheaply. The problem is, however, how are they ever going to invest in R&D? How are they going to ensure that they're properly securing our data? I didn't say say the one-off fee be 22p. Okay. Right? They can charge 50 bucks. I kind of mm-hmm. want a one-off payment, I suppose. And I, I know what you're saying. You're saying they need that those extra funds to come in for R&D. Okay, I get it. I get it. But Yeah, see, I, I personally quite like paying for things. I, I, I don't know if I've suddenly become altruistic <laughs> at my age and fun. Well, Graham, suddenly <laughs> being no generous. Way. Yes. No you way. You don't think that's happened, Carl? Never. Um. <laughs> no way. There's a but lot I, of stories I, I could tell right now <laughs> about your altruism, quote unquote. <laughs> but I quite like the idea of if I use... So let me be honest with you, right? A password manager is one of the most important programs on my computer and on my smartphone. It's the thing which I'm going to use umpteen times a day, and I'm putting a lot of trust in it. Do I feel more comfortable paying maybe $40 my entire lifetime for that program? Or do I feel more comfortable maybe spending $3 a month? Uh, up until I, I, I'm sick of it and don't want it anymore. I actually want that company to exist. I want them to put a lot more effort into you know ensuring that they've got good, strong security. I want them to be around. I want them to do a damn good job because if they ever fail in any way, that could be disastrous for me. So I okay, kind those are of- all good points. They're all yeah, good. That points. makes sense. I think there's one thing about when you when you used to buy software and have a one time purchase that there was kind of like ownership of it and you were done paying, like yep. you, you can use this software forever. Mm-hmm. And when you are on a subscription based, you know, it just at any point you stop paying, you just don't have this anymore, which, but I see the point about, you know, also them being able to count on these people coming back month after month after month. It's worth it for them to keep developing their products and making them better. The other problem though is you have to manage all these payments going to different people all the time. Like I, you, I'm managing loads of different subscriptions for mm-hmm. software I require, mm-hmm. and you know honestly it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, 
You know, because yes, because I have to, I go, well, because Graham, I know that you go in, tick a box, never look at it again. But I kind of like to go in and kind of go, who am I giving to what? Is everything appropriate? Is everything working? And you, there's a lot of different monthly fees I've got to check. I think I fall into the tick a box and never return kind of thing. I, I don't, I have no idea how many things I'm probably, uh, there's probably I, things from two years ago I've never yeah, even used. Yeah, it's like used the old gym are, membership story, right? Yeah, exactly. Where someone joins the gym and they forget about it. They stop going, but they're still paying their monthly fee. Is so what that, I tend to do, once I trust a product, or a service, or I think, oh, this is a good one. I tend to switch over from a monthly subscription to an annual one. So I don't get bugged every month. And I think, okay, this is good. And I just had a situation today, for instance, I, I use an online backup service, one of the ways in which I back up my data. And they sent me a message saying, hey, you know, we tried to do the annual charge on your credit card and it failed. And it's because they had old credit card details for me, right? It, that particular credit card had expired. And so I had to give them some new uh, details in order to continue the service. But that worked fine for me, you know, and I think once a year, I'm perfectly happy with that. I'm happy to give one password an annual subscription fee as well, because awesome products and great support don't come cheap. And one of the things that I've seen from them over the years is real openness and honesty, uh, and sometimes saying things that people don't like to hear, but they provide a fantastic service. So Okay, I understand some people don't And they're not the only ones buy... to provide an, uh, you know, no, an amazing service. No, I, you know, I know you're championing them because you use them, but there's lots of other good ones yeah, as well. Yeah, there, there are obviously other good technologies out there as well. But I mean, I think they do a good job. I think ultimately, if you don't want to pay a monthly subscription or don't want to pay an annual subscription for your password manager, then go and get something else. But don't mix that up with this other issue, right? There's this other issue, like I said, about local vaults versus cloud-based mm -hmm. vaults as well, right? And a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, this is absolutely terrible that we're being moved to cloud-based storage of our passwords. But I think people really need to read the small print as to what's really going on here, because one password isn't storing your passwords in the cloud. What it's doing is this, your password data is being gathered in your password manager program, which is being run on your client, like your desktop computer. Right. It's being encrypted locally before mm -hmm. it is transmitted. Mm -hmm. And their, their servers only receive an encrypted blob of data, right? Mm -hmm. Your master password is never transmitted. And this is true whether you're using 1Passwords Cloud or whether you're using Dropbox and iCloud or whatever else it is. And be honest, most people who are using a password manager these days are probably syncing their passwords. By that, I mean they're sharing the same passwords or having been able to access the same passwords on their smartphone or their laptop as well as their desktop. Yep. So one way or another, they're shoving their password data, hopefully encrypted, that's the way 1Password would do it, via some sort of syncing service to do this. All right. Yep. So most people, I think, are already doing this. There's a very yeah, small a number of people point. who are only storing it on their local computer. And there's even a, still a danger, of course, if you are storing your passwords encrypted on your local computer of your computer being owned by a hacker and maybe um, them grabbing your master password and being able to okay. access your Good password point. data. Great point, great, mm. great point, point. But why do they have to do away with the local vault if people want to keep that? Well, they could they warn them. They could warn and say, this is why we don't recommend it. Well, Agile Bits, the company behind 1Password is saying it hasn't removed support for ah. local vaults from its password apps. Everyone is getting all up in arms about this and they're going, no, no, no. 
if you want to carry on doing that, if you're currently That's doing fine. that, yeah. Yeah. you can carry on doing that. Stop getting your knickers in a twist over this. But they are arguing that in some ways, the local vaults are actually less secure. For instance, if you're using Dropbox or iCloud, which might have a weak password, they're harder to sync and more difficult to support. And in fact, one password's own cloud service is additionally encrypted using an additional 128-bit randomly generated secret key that is never transmitted to their servers. So in short, you might actually have more security that way than a local vault. And I okay, think a lot of people yeah. have got really excited about this and I'm just like, oh, oh yeah, furious. And- Yeah, but we're the ones who get them excited by talking about data breaches that happen from cloud providers. We talk about that most weeks. Yes, and it does. You're absolutely right. All the time, we are encountering situations where organizations, we saw it with the AA, we saw mm -hmm. it with the World Wrestling Entertainment (laughs) organization (laughs) just in the last few days as well, where they have put plain text user databases and sensitive information up on publicly accessible cloud servers yikes and that does happen all the time and we're seeing breaches from that sort of incompetence all the time that isn't what we're talking about here here we have a company who's actually taking its security seriously is encrypting things in multiple fashions it is not storing your keys the only way in which a hacker could actually access your data is if they manage to hack your computer first and then hack one password as well in some fashion Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I totally understand. And I think that's a really, really good point. But all I'm saying is that, of course, people are going to be nervous when they hear the word cloud at the moment. I I know. You know, I get that. I get that because, of course, there's loads of bad news regarding it. But I I think we have to just stop and think. And sometimes on Twitter, a Twitter storm will be provoked. And some of the reporting on this has been fairly sloppy as well. And I think it's just get things in proportion. Yes. And that's why people come to Smashing Security to get the real story. (laughs) The real story. (laughs) And uh, someone who's going to give us another story is Michael. Michael, what have you got for us this week? Uh, Well, I found this kind of interesting thing here that Audi has unveiled the new A8, which is the first production car to reach level three autonomy. Level Uh, three autonomy. Level three autonomy. So the reason this is a big deal is because this is the first production car that basically takes the driver out of the equation completely. You, You can permanently remove your hands from the steering wheel and any controls and it will just take you places really like yeah. what any speed or uh well it, the the feature right now is called ai traffic jam pilot and uh so it'll only do it in slow moving traffic i think it's up to 60 kilometers per hour <laughs> you know what's cool about that though is you imagine the people you know it's still illegal probably even if you're in one of those cars to actually use your mobile phone right so you're gonna, right. you're, you're gonna be hands-free <laughs> but not able to use or look away look at your device yeah well that's why this is raising so <laughs> many interesting uh points because now that well first of all yeah if, if you're not driving it's you're, you're you're essentially a passenger at that point. Like right. you have the same, are you a driver of that car? Um, and so that a lot of laws are having to be, you know, looked closely looked at and regulations to see how this is actually going to fit into a day-to-day yeah. scenario and, and all across the world. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's going to be pretty wild. I wonder, I mean, of course the, the rules may vary from country to country, but I wonder if you did have level three autonomy in your car, so it's able to drive itself in not, not, crazy motorway traffic, but at fair speed traffic. I wonder if you still have to keep your hands on the wheel and uh, uh, pretend to be at least alert. What, and fight the car? 
Well, I well no, I know. I'm, I'm wondering if you, you you have to be basically prepared to take over should anything happen. I wonder if that's current what legislation. it's like with the Tesla. Like the the, right. the Tesla has that thing, and you you basically do have to be able to. And that's I, I don't know if that's level two or whatever, but it's the thing mm. below this. But you have the driver has to be prepared to take over control of the vehicle at any point. Yeah, uh, this okay. one Audi is actually saying that they're encouraging people with when Tesla released theirs, and there's actually I put a link in here too. Whenever Tesla first came out with this of people uploading videos of themselves like riding in the back seat of the car and you know just completely <laughs> taking their hands off in 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 very fast traffic on highways um, and so Tesla was like no no please don't do this or we're just ignoring everything but Audi is actually encouraging people to completely uh, not even be in the car uh, like for example the oh. the Audi smartphone app that comes with this car if let's say you come out of a restaurant yes. you can basically like Night Rider uh, just <laughs> Hit and go, and here comes Kit around Kit. the corner, and you can uh, watch the whole thing on the 360-degree camera that comes on the app. This sounds pretty cool. So I could – so there we are. I'm going down – I'm going down the dual carriageway, okay, at 40 miles per hour, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And the traffic's, you know, if not doing anything very exciting. I can get up through the sunroof, <laughs> work my way down the back of the car, open the boot if I've yes. left something in there, mm-hmm. get it out, and then cr- I'm sure that's not going to put off any other drivers, is it? I would love to see you try and do that. That would be really a really great stunt. It has a bunch of other uh, really interesting th- things with it, too. Every single piece of the car is controlled autonomously, including each wheel individually and um, just a, a really neat thing. I kind but of course- hate this. It just says to me, I'm obviously old, but I just keep thinking that's all that stuff is, is more stuff that can go wrong. You know, Absolutely. That can break. Well, right? not only can it break, but it can, of course, if it can be programmed, it can be reprogrammed. And all of this is connected to the Internet. But so- to be devil's advocate for a moment, Kroll, it's not yeah. just computers and cars which can break it's humans which break as well not break as in stop the car i mean break as in are broken right humans are imperfect drivers and they make bad decisions and true maybe if the code is good computer controlled cars would actually be superior and safer no look hey i love driving so i'm not a fan of this whole automated driving but i can see that there's lots of great you know it allows people who can't drive to get around autonomously it's fantastic it's going to make the road safer i believe all that i just like driving right so i don't want that right to be taken away from me and i you know in my lifetime i'm hoping that i think (laughs) that will ultimately happen right i mean once once 99 percent of the cars on the road i mean i don't know how that would would work with actually implementing this, but at a certain point, the most dangerous thing on the road is going to be people driving cars. Well, they just won't insure. It won't be, you won't be able to get insurance for it, right? Because you will be less safe than an automated car. So right. therefore you won't be able to drive legally. Bro, this is going to happen during your lifetime. I, Do you it, think so? I think it's going to yes. happen within the next yes. like 10 years. I think yeah, it's going to be quick. Don't assume I'm going to live a really, really, really long time. <laughs> That's true. You live pretty hard. You, uh, you go pretty hard, hard, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I think it is really weird thing to think about that, that at a point very soon, you'll be like kind of a badass at that at one point in your life, you drove a car, like kids will be like, yeah. what? Like you used to actually control this and, you know, push the, yeah. the buttons. And yeah, I mean, it, it'll, it'll be a strange thing. Like kids, uh, you know, not too far from now, it will be an old fashioned thing to do to, to even probably know how to drive a car. What? You used to stand up and walk over to the television to change channel? That's yeah. crazy, Dad. Wow. <laughs> do, you, do you guys remember when that, you know, it was like a constant speed regulator that came out in cars. So you could kind of go, okay, I'm going 45. Cruise control. Cruise yeah. control. That's cruise what it's control. called. Yeah. Cruise control. And I remember this story about these guys. They had a camper van. It was in 
the States somewhere, but basically it had just come out cruise control. So they put their, their camper van on cruise control and they went out in the back to make lunch. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. So make sure you understand the technology and understand what's required of you as a driver in these exactly. situations rather than, to, you know. And we've wow. really got to hope that the car manufacturers are taking security seriously as well, because we, we've already seen researchers prove how hackable some internet connected cars are right. um, and taking them over. It's quite staggering what's been done in that field. More and more cars are going to become the ultimate mobile internet enabled device, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. For sure. One I was reading about was in 2015. These two white hat hackers, they took control of a Jeep Cherokee and yeah. cut the transmission on the highway. And and in response to that, Chrysler had to actually recall 1.4 million vehicles. It was very highly publicized that they yeah. took over this and were able to shut it down. Um, and so it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of easy, but it's got to be close to the biggest thing that, that these people are talking about right now. If you're, if you're going to be implementing this, there has to be some sense of security here with these things, right? Yeah. yeah, I think people will be nervous. I imagine just the average, you know, person on the street would be very nervous about the whole security aspect. I imagine, although I suppose physical security does trump digital security. And th- some, you know, you just don't want to I die. I think people are nervous about not driving because that's very visible and not very being in obvious. Control. So yeah. they, they have something else in control. What I think people are largely blind to is the fact that so many vehicles these days have some sort of an internet enablement, yep. that they are smart devices, that right. they are doing incredible things right now connected to the internet. And you may be slightly blind to that. And that potentially is a backdoor for hackers to get in and to meddle. And uh, as we've seen, white hat researchers have done this already and and had lots of fun. So anyway, it's the future and it is just around the corner, I think. I don't think we're too far away from this at all. Well, we'll see if it happens in my lifetime. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Carol, I hope you're not planning to kick the bucket just to prove me wrong about this thing about (laughs) happening in your lifetime. Yeah, that's so my style. That'll teach you. That'll teach you a lesson. (laughs) I'll show you. Yeah, I'll show you. (laughs) Carol, what have you got for us? Well, I want to talk about the big news of today, the day of recording. So this is day before publication. And today is Net Neutrality Day. So, um, Graham, I know you're not a big fan of this topic, are you? Net neutrality. (laughs) You're not. You've been... No, I, 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 I want to know why should I care about it? Tell me what net neutrality is and how it's going to affect me. Okay. So net neutrality is the basic principle of ensuring a level digital playing field. That's how I see it. So basically all internet traffic is treated equally, whether you are streaming Netflix or whether you're, you're sending information to a particular recipient, no matter what the content is, the traffic should be treated equally for, for any user. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. So there, there's n- so yeah. So there's no internet fast or slow lanes. I can't I, I can't kind of give you a slower, crappier service because you pay less or because you uh you know you're not as important to me as maybe a bigger provider or someone like Netflix might be. Oh, I see. So Netflix, which is quite powerful, for instance, they could pay an ISP and say, "Look, slow down everybody else, but make sure that we are like whoosh, we're like super duper fast." Maybe mm. they could do that, for or instance. the ISP might say, "Actually, Graham, you can't act." Access Netflix because unless you pay more, because we think that it hogs too much bandwidth. So we're we're gonna uh, kind of charge oh, you. Oh, okay, okay, all right, right. Mm. So this so this is something that uh, President Obama was a big supporter of net neutrality, and he established President, President who? Sorry, Obama. Oh, do you remember, remember him? him? Oh, oh yeah. it was like a fairy tale, oh, wasn't it? Do you remember <laughs> those days? It was so long ago. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> well, he anyway, back to the present. Oh, uh, we all have. Oh man. Uh, he, <laughs> he was a big supporter of net neutrality, and he actually established formal rules to enforce it. And now this is known as Title II, right? The Title II order. Right. And this was basically to ensure that internet service providers and ISPs like AT&T and Verizon, Comcast and all of them yeah. gave equal footing to all websites and all internet services. Right. So you can think about it from me, from a point of view of like, I might have a blog, for example. Right. And they may want to make more money out of ads. So they give me a slower service so that people stay longer on the page just so they can deliver more ads to them via my blog. Might be a way that, a you know, an ISP might want to make some cash. That sounds yucky. Yeah. So today, as we're saying, is uh, is Happy Net Neutrality Day. And the idea is to kind of inform people about net neutrality and tell them basically the FCC, if you're in the States, the FCC are basically, there's four more days left before their proposal to scrap net neutrality comes off the table. So right now people can comment on whether they think net neutrality is important. So how are people being rallied to, uh, to, to pass on their comments, what they think about all this? Well, it's funny. There's a lot of people. So there's a lot of things going on on social today. Um, and also, there's a lot of companies out there that are supporting it. So like we were saying earlier, Google, Facebook, Reddit. So Reddit this morning, for example, had this sign prominently on their website saying, we're sorry, access to our technology is not included with your internet service package. You must pay your cable company an extra fee to proceed. And then it says, okay, just kidding. But this could happen if we lose net neutrality. Uh-huh. Okay. And then it provides you a link for you to go and log your, your viewpoint, right? On the site on, for the FCC. And we're just trying to get as many people out there as possible to say, yes, you know, we support. So I guess what I'm saying is don't dilly dally. If you're a net neutrality supporter and you're based in the States, it's really important that uh, you go out there and bring your support forward. Um, there is some news items out there that say the playing field might not be as even Stevens. Some of you may have seen John Oliver and other media talking about faked comments supporting net neutrality. So this week, Tech Dirt's Carl Bode published a story about how his identity, now he's a staunch um, net neutrality supporter, his identity, along with millions of others was used falsely to generate a bogus support for the killing of net neutrality rules on the FCC comment system. Oh, so he's an outspoken critic. He's an outspoken critic. He wants net neutrality to stay. Yes. But someone used his name. Yes. And his ID. And associated to a comment that he claims he never made. Oh, I see. Sort of saying, oh, saying, saying it should saying, be killed. Saying, scrap this. This, I, I, you know, we need to bring. You know, we need to have. Oh. A, yeah. So Ooh. he's been writing to them, commenting, saying, "Take this down. Take right. this down. Take this down." And they've been kind of dragging their feet and getting back to him. Um, <laughs> and they finally did get back to him, basically saying, "Look, we're not going to remove it. It's not really within our policy to remove any comments from the site, mm. whether they may be." Um, so the, the idea is that maybe this has been tied to a spam bot. So the idea is that maybe millions of addresses were picked up by a spam bop and the same message was being pushed onto the FCC comment site. So it happened, I think, 150,000 times the same message from the same sender was being shown up. So I would imagine most people listening to this podcast and and the three of us, we're probably fans of the idea of net neutrality, I think. It sounds like a sensible idea, doesn't it? I think it's wonderful. I don't understand, really, I can't make a good argument for getting rid of it for anyone except that actually uses the internet, uh, not someone who's, I can see why for, if you're a provider of the internet, but right. I, 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 I don't, I've not heard anyone really give me a good uh, argument for why they think it would be a good idea to kill net neutrality. I mean, if you think about landlines, right, if you think about landlines, you know, Imagine if I could say, okay, I'm going to give you a really, really scratchy landline, you know, about 50 right. years ago, if you, if you, if you, instead of a really good one, depending on who you are, 
right? So you won't be able to hear everything that you you know hmm. you want to you want to hear. So you know, it, kind of a landline should be a landline, and internet should be internet, and everyone should have equal access to it. Once you know, once they have access to it, they should be treated equally. I think, right. completely across the board. Where does I mean, where does this fit in with the plan of making America great again? Is this <laughs> this is it? Well, yeah, this, this is it happening IP, right now. Yeah, the ISPs, <laughs> the ISPs are the ones that really want this, right? That is because America. they want to be able. Yeah, and they want to. And, and net neutrality is not just a U.S. issue. So there's kind of two issues here. One is net neutrality, in my view, should be a right for everyone who uses the internet. So I, th- you know, and it's not uh, net neutrality does exist in Europe, it exists in Americas, but you know, in a lot of places in Asia, it doesn't exist. Oh, right. Is it a, a right? I don't know. It just seems like the right thing to do. Like, it's just the right thing to do. Like, don't, don't do this. Come on. Just leave mm-hmm. the internet alone. It's fine the way it is. Well, it's got its problems. Yeah. And ISPs are saying, look, we laid down loads and loads of cable to make this all easy for everyone to access. And what, we're supposed to not get money back for that because now people are streaming huge amounts of content all the time. Um, Donald Trump, he's a big fan of the little guy. Is he uh, standing up for net neutrality or not? Well, he appointed ex-Verizon lawyer Ajit Pai to the to the head up the FCC. Right. And he's the guy who's actually put forward the proposal to roll back on Obama's net neutrality rules. Uh, the comment being that it hurts future investment and innovation. One of the problems, of course, is in the States. Not everyone, you know, people live rurally, uh, rurally and they don't have access to one or more um, ISPs. There's only one that kind of operates in their area. So from an idea of comp- you know, competition and price, you, it, you don't have a lot of choice if you've only got one that's covering your area. Hmm. Right. So it's not like you can kind of use the competitiveness to say, well, these people give me more bandwidth and these people give me less for the same price. Right. Anyway. Could you say rurally again? <laughs> rurally. <laughs> how do you say it? How, how do you, how, it's a hard word to say. I just said it. I said it rurally. perfectly well. Thank you very much. Rurally. Rurally. <laughs> so I... <laughs> I have really good pronunciation <laughs> of rurally. Rurally. So I'm basically here to say, guys, you have basically till the 16th. So this is going out on the 13th. You've got four more days to get your uh, comments into the FCC. Um, Inside our show notes, there's going to be loads of links on how best to make your argument, what pages to go to. There's uh, different news items to get your, if you want more information on the story. But, you know, I think don't ignore this one. This is time to pay attention. Awesome. There's my story. There's my pitch. For sure. Thank you very much. The sound Reported broke stuff. up for a while for me there, but I imagined it was recording it locally. It, I, I hope it so. Broke up for me as well. Yeah. That's the net neutrality people trying to, they're, <laughs> the, they're trying to take you down. They don't want they're your message out me there. They're gagging me already. Yeah. They're see, gagging me. See, you see, guys? Maybe they're the ones who interfered with your pronunciation of, well, you, you say it. <laughs> Rurally. <laughs> okay. Rurally. Um, <laughs> let's find out who's sponsoring the show this week. So you want to know what's going on in the crazy world of vulnerabilities and exploits and hacking. You want to know what people are talking about on the dark web, maybe what the new emerging threats are going to be. You need to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily. It's a daily newsletter which arrives free in your inbox from the guys at Recorded Future, the threat intel firm. And all you have to do to sign it up is go to recordedfuture.com com slash intel. Thank you to the Recorded Future guys for supporting the show this week and make sure you go to recordedfuture.com slash intel to get your free Cyber Daily newsletter. And welcome back to the show. Um, and it's time now for Pick of the Week. Pick Our favourite part of the show, Pick of the Week. 
Pick of the week. Michael. Pick of the week. <laughs> That's good. So this is where we choose something which has tickled us from the last week. Doesn't have to be necessarily security rated. Um, could be a TV show, a movie, a news story, a You've website. You've changed that. You've changed that. I think, it was. It wasn't security I, related. I think, Roel, if you go back through the archives, you'll find out. <laughs> doesn't have. Doesn't doesn't matter if it is anyway. Uh, don't worry, my one isn't this. Oh, actually, I was going to talk about one thing. You remember talking about going back through the archives? You remember we've spoken a few times about the Amazon Alexa voice? Yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. You know, we're big fans of that. And, <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, enormous fans. Well, I'll tell you, someone who isn't a fan, there is a geezer. His name is Eduardo Barros from New Mexico. Okay, and uh, he he's absolutely furious with the Amazon Alexa right now because he was having a quiet night in, beating up his girlfriend, what, and threatening to kill her. For real, hmm? so he's okay. Well, allegedly, Jesus. allegedly, this is what happened, right? Right. And so he was having a bit of a dispute with his um, with his partner uh, <laughs> back a, a week or so ago. Okay. And um, during the assault, he started waving a gun around like you do. Oh my and, god! Uh, and, and 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 he threatened to kill this woman. And he, and he apparently he said to her, "Did you call the sheriff?" <laughs> okay. Now that's not <laughs> the thing to say in front of an Amazon Alexa. Because apparently, uh, if you say that in front of an Amazon Alexa, it will oh, then call the sheriff. So it, it took it as an order. It took it yes. as an oh, instruction. Wow. And so you could argue. I know we've been did, criticizing. Is that because did you sounds like Alexa? Did you? Did you? Alexa? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it just is, is prompted like for certain things. It doesn't need to be prompted. Like Maybe his girlfriend's name is Alexa. Alexa, did you call the sheriff? Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would... Hey, Alexa, did you call the sheriff? Anyway. <laughs> and so, what? Oh, my God. Are there... <laughs> His name's Eduardo. Are yeah, there any people in the world named Alexa that own an Alexa? They, it can't be, right? Of course they do. That would just be so... Oh, God. Anyway, it could be argued that the Amazon Alexa did something good and actually maybe saved this woman's Called life. The, so the cops arrived and saved her? The cops arrived, and I think she was quite badly beaten up, and, and who knows what the outcome's going to be of all that. But... Um, Links in the show notes uh, for that one, but that isn't actually my pick of the week. But that oh, was I see you're getting a twofer. Yeah, okay. ah. <laughs> a twofer. A twofer. Two for one. Oh, two for one. I'm sure um, we've discussed this already instead, in the podcast. I want to talk about a British railway, Southern Rail. Oh, that sounds uh, exciting. Their, yes, um, I'm going global. <laughs> their Twitter account. I read this. I read that a 15 year old had taken over their Twitter account. I thought, oh, here we go again. It's another talk talk situation. You know, someone hasn't been careful enough and a teenager has hacked their way in and t commanded control. But no, no, no. They gave this 15 year old kid called Eddie access to their Twitter account for his work experience. And it turns out he's been an absolute social media hit. Oh, really? He's, yes, he's been fielding questions from commuters. Yeah. Who, as soon as they discovered that there was a work experience kid handling the, rather than doing the usual sort of, there is a 13 minute delay or the line <laughs> from, you know, not, not doing that. They've been asking him questions saying, you know, what, what should we have for dinner, Eddie? And he's been saying, oh, obviously chicken fajitas. He's been saying. <laughs> and then they've been asking him, what's the air velocity of certain birds? And he's been providing the answers and Googling them. Brilliant. And, um, one guy, a guy called Adam Winston, said, um, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? Ooh. And uh, he chose, Eddie chose 100 duck-sized horses. And I just thought, what a great story, because we hear so much negativity about kids and the internet. We hear so, yeah. there's so much unpleasantness on social media and on Twitter sometimes. You know, we have so many arguments over politics or whatever it is, or password managers. Mm. And here was something which was just utterly joyful as you were 
uh, overheating on the railway, probably on a slow train. You were at least being amused by them. And I think it's been a bit of a PR success for Southern Rail. So I say well done to them and well done to Eddie the teenager for taking over the reins uh, of the rails. And Eddie, use two-factor authentication and have a really good, strong password, please. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> I hope. Good advice. Is the case. Thanks for bringing it back to security. <laughs> Pick of the week. <laughs> Pick of the week. Michael, well, what have you got? <laughs> uh, I have a, uh, I watched a documentary recently that I found to be very interesting. Uh, it's called The Red Pill. Uh, it's a 2016 documentary by a lady named Cassie J. She used to be an actress and uh, turned kind of activist, feminist. Uh, it's a, it's about the men, men's rights movement, yes. which is a controversial subject and, and one I really had never looked into very much or heard much about. Men's um, rights, because we don't, have rights. Very, we don't have very many men's rights, do you we? Really you don't yeah. have very many rights, Grim. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I'm, I'm never allowed to go, you know, sit down and breastfeed a child or something like that. I mean, what, what's, what's I wouldn't tough, stop you. I wouldn't what's, stop what's you. What's the problem with people? Why are men asking for men's rights? Surely we've got enough rights, haven't we? I, I, that's that's what I, one would think, uh, but it's, it explores the uh, it, it kind of explores that idea and that um, you know kind of the it's 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 somewhat controversial. Uh, several places have canceled their screenings of the film because. Ooh, can you give uh, us one? Can you give us some? Can you just give us a taster? Of, of something of, co- controversial, like something that. Well, that, I think they, the even saying the words "men's rights" is is controversial, and, and I, so a lot of these people uh, that follow this movement and uh, and are leaders of the movement, it's kind of watching them deal with trying to make their point about men's rights, and they do it in some pretty. Uh, outrageous ways. This guy has a website that he writes some pretty insane stuff on. And the the way they set up the documentary is uh, kind of explaining how their perception is in the world. And then what this lady's perception of Of them them was after spending a year with them and actually listening to what they had to say. So she filmed the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it was, was, I think it was just a, an interesting take on something that I had never really put that much thought into. Um, and it's kind of it's getting a, a good bit of buzz at the moment. So cool! I, might, I, I highly might recommend it. it. I'm going to yeah, do that. It's yeah. worth watching. Defo. Is it entertaining or is it just ultimately depressing? Because you think this is these these aren't guys really who are in favor of men's rights. They're just misogynists. No, I, I think that I, I actually my personal opinion is I, I ended up sympathizing with them uh, by the end of it. I, I think that they had points they had relevant points um, okay. and the way it was presented uh, I don't know how, how it was supposed to make me feel but I, I thought at least that it was uh, they were a, maybe a kind of a misunderstood bunch and that they might not have represented themselves that well but in this documentary you kind of get to see the other side of them and someone who's actually listening to them and trying to paint them in somewhat of a neutral light instead of okay. a negative light well it, it sounds thought provoking then it, it is thought provoking yeah. yeah worth watching cool Kroll, thank you, Michael, for your pick of the week. Kroll, what have you got? Mine is definitely not thought-provoking. My tip of the week is all about barbecues, because the Northern Hemisphere right now, it is barbecue season. And I, for all those real barbecuers out there, and by that I don't mean your little gas guys, I mean those with charcoal or wood, Mm. I am advocating the chimney barbecue starter. (laughs) 
from Weber. For real. It is about 15, 20 quid or 30 bucks. And it's basically like this chimney that you put on your grill and you put all your coal and your, your fire starter or paper or whatever. And it gets really hot really, really quickly. And it gets you moving. And it's fantastic. And I love it. And because that was a bit of a weak tip of the week. Right, Graham? You thought it was a bit weak, didn't you? That sounds terribly useful. Is there anything else you can say about it? How wonderful it is? Um, it's it's very. I don't know. No, really, it's like a chimney. It's like literally. It's literally just gathers everything underneath the flame. So everything. Uh, yeah, kind of, I've used one of these. It, works it, it, very it well. stacks it's, it up in a in a vertical fashion. Yeah, so you know, like the heat column. rises through it really quick, and it it yeah. gets all your charcoal blasting it's with anti-technology very it's quickly. very very basic technology there's nothing digital about it and it's wonderful because of that <laughs> so you've a- been using this in your back garden at barbecues and yeah things? i have and uh you know oh, i've uh, actually i actually used it <laughs> well i would have invited last time i last time. <laughs> yeah thanks very much <laughs> i don't know you i think you'd have to be nice. a lot nicer to me yeah <laughs> you have to be nicer to me and then i'll uh, i'll consider inviting you but i used it recently and i made this amazing chicken dish from um oh, did you? old telegraph di- uh, recipe which i've been Included in the show notes because it's kind of a spatchcock chicken with like a shallot dressing and it's awesome and the dressing works really well on good on grilled vegetables and and uh, halloumi and things like that as well so okay. it's good for everyone spatchcock chicken some nice vegetables yeah a little halloumi. shallot sauce on that and oh. a bit of mustard and it's delish sounds delish. lovely I'm sorry I wasn't able to um, wasn't able to be there I know it I'm sorry oh. too Graham I'm really oh, sorry too no, no maybe oh. next time you'll remember to invite me Michael if you want to come. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to fly over, keep it warm for me. I'll 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 head out right now. Uh, (laughs) Right, coming your way before before a fight breaks out. I think (laughs) that just about wraps it up. Thank you very much, Michael, for joining us once again. We really appreciate you being here. Absolutely. You can find out more about Michael and his band in the show notes. Thank you, Carol, as well. I suppose, although I didn't get an invitation to the barbecue. Thank you at home (laughs) for tuning in. If you like the show, tell your friends. Let us know what you think. Maybe even leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or something like that. You can go to our brand spanking new website at www.smashingsecurity.com. Drop us a line at studio at smashingsecurity.com or follow us on Twitter. We are at smash in without a G security smashing security it's not my fault twitter has the extra letter (laughs) crazy isn't it until (sighs) next time cheerio toodaloo bye bye adios (laughs) Graham I did buy you a present from Canada that I haven't given you yet in fact there's two presents so don't say I don't do anything nice for you is it just is saying. it a delicious piece of chicken? That sounds lovely. Yeah, that you cooked <laughs> in your barbecue because Two that's you, could, you can you think could, about now. You can you <laughs> could cook this in your barbecue, and I would love to watch you eat it. <laughs> <laughs>